Ladies, we're, we've come to the end of our revealed study. We're going to be looking at lesson nine today. Let's begin in prayer and then we'll jump into this lesson. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, you are holy and great. And we open your word together now and ask for you to continue to reveal yourself to us that we might know your glory and reflect you in this world. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Some of you may have heard this story before, but when I was a senior in high school over Christmas break, I went on a date with a guy and we went tobogganing down at Pottawatomie Park in St. Charles. And the first ride down the hill, I was on the back, I was on the front of a long toboggan with some uh, friends behind me, and we crashed into a barbecue grill. <laughs> and oh my, I look back on that. It, I laugh now, but it is one of the markers in my life because it's one of the times when I see the arm of the Lord, the mighty arm of the Lord, the, um, the hands of the Lord on my life. Um, I was injured, but we crashed into that grill in such a way that um, if it were my head were turned just a little bit differently, I could have lost sight in one of my eyes. Um, my pelvis was fractured in multiple places, and yet um, the care that I received from my friends and the paramedics, um, they cared for me in such a way that I, they didn't move me, and so I didn't have to have surgery, and the Lord healed me, and um, I just, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, at the time, they wondered if I would walk again or if I would be able to have children, and lo and behold, the Lord did heal me in such um, powerful ways, and, and I'm able to walk and run, and, and I have four precious kiddos um, who are now young adults, and I just do. I look back at that time, and I, I know that the Lord is at work and, and powerfully still in this world, and he has his hands on each of our lives. So as we look at this image of the arm or the hand of the Lord today, we know that this is a metaphor that is woven throughout scripture. It's, it's imagery for his power at work. We know that the Lord doesn't have a body. He's spirit. <laughs> but when we think of his arm, we think of it like we do, right? When we think of somebody that's strong and mighty, it's the arm of the Lord speaks um, of doing great wonders and mighty acts. His arm works to achieve his will and purposes and plans. And as we look throughout the scripture, we can. We can make a long list of these amazing wonders that he has worked and accomplished. And we know that the God of the universe has unlimited power. He can do anything. His supply of power is infinite. It never runs out. It never needs to be increased. He doesn't ever need to take a nap or to go to the gym to, to work out to get stronger. He is omnipotent. He can do anything he pleases with his power, and there is nothing stronger than him. And he is always at work with his mighty hands, his mighty arm. 
He doesn't have a time card or a clock where he punches in and out like we would for a job. He has worked and continues to work throughout all generations. And he works everywhere, <laughs> no matter what the location, whether it's here or way over on the other side of the world, his mighty arm is at work. As we open our Bibles today, we see that the arm of the Lord creates. This is a verse that we looked at in our lesson where we saw the Lord as the potter. It's from Isaiah 45, 12. I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. His awesome power is revealed through creation, and it continues to be on display every moment where he's sustaining his creation. Every time we go out for a walk, <laughs> all the leaves that we see changing, right? The changing of the seasons, we see that his hands have created, his mighty arm has created, and he is continuing to hold them in his hands. And then we know that the arm of the Lord established Israel. Isaiah 6, 6-9 says this, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So ladies, as we read this scripture can't you, you, you can remember the mighty act that God did with, through Moses and him raising his staff and him parting the Red Sea. That staff in Moses' arm seems to be an extension of God's own arm, working powerfully to make a way for his people to be brought out. The Lord worked wonders in Egypt, revealing himself as the only true God and victor over all the gods of Egypt. The river, the river was turned to blood. There were frogs and flies, boils and hail and locust and darkness. And tragically, the killing of the firstborn sons of those that had rejected him as the Lord. And then he brought his people out of G Egypt with his mighty and outstretched arm. He fought for them. His people did not have to carry any weapons. He hid them in the cloud and fire of his presence and so powerfully made that path through the sea for them. And that same arm wiped out the Egyptians who had rejected him. Then his mighty, with his mighty arm, he continued to care for his people. He tended them as a good shepherd. He led them both day and night. 
He gave them water in the wilderness and manna day after day for 40 years. Their sandals didn't even wear out. He carried them all along the way to the promised land and gave it to them. Over and over again in the Old Testament, the Lord reminds his people who they are. They are the ones that he redeemed and saved with his mighty and outstretched arm. The arm of the Lord, as we've already seen from this passage that we've just read, works to bring both judgment and salvation. Isaiah 51, 9 and 10. This is a scripture I don't have, you won't have on the screen, but just um, listen along with me. Isaiah 51, verses 9 and 10. Here, Judah is in exile in Babylon, as you all know. You remember that. And they think possibly that God has fallen asleep. And so they say, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? And both Rahab and the dragon are metaphors for Egypt here in this verse. They go on to say, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? So we see that the Lord's arm brings judgment for those that turn away from him and reject him and salvation for those that turn to him and trust in him. And then Isaiah chapter 40 verses 9 to 11 Scriptures that you looked at in your study this week. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So his arm does bring news of judgment and of salvation, and his arm is mighty, and yet his hands, his arm, it's the way that he also cares and carries his people tenderly. When I read that verse 11 there, I do. I think of a young, strong guy who's got big, strong muscles. And I picture him holding for the first time his newborn child. And I think how those mighty arms become so tender and gentle as, they, as he would cherish and treasure that little one. And then we move on as we look at this metaphor of the arm of the Lord to see, as we looked at in our scriptures this week, uh, the, the servant song in Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah 52 and into chapter 53, that 
The arm of the Lord is astounding. And the arm of the Lord foretells of Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a problem that's presented throughout all of the scriptures. It's what will the holy God do with sinful humanity? Here in Isaiah, we know that God's people have failed him and they are living in exile. And so the question comes, how will he restore his unfaithful covenant people? And in Isaiah 52, verse 10, we see once again this image of the Lord. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And then chapter 52, beginning in verse 13, all the way through to the end of chapter 53 is the fourth of Isaiah's servant songs. This passage of scripture has been called the gospel of the Old Testament. And it's here we see the Messiah foretold as the arm of the Lord, as the suffering servant who is exalted. So open your Bibles with me to chapter 52, and we're going to read through, beginning with chapter 52, verse 13, through chapter 53 into verse 6. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
As I've mentioned, this servant song continues to the end of chapter 53, so I encourage you to please read through the end of the chapter on your own. This song has five stanzas of three verses each, and it has a chiastic structure that goes A, B, C, B, A. So the first and the last stanzas speak of the Messiah's exaltation. The second and the fourth stanzas speak of his suffering. And the middle stanza, the pivotal point of the song, highlights his substitutionary atonement, his substitutionary sacrifice. As we look at this passage, I'm so excited to go through these last verses in chapter 52 because I've been guilty of too often starting right at the beginning of chapter 53, and I've missed out on this very f important first section of the song. Here we do, we see the suffering and exaltation of the Lord's servant. Isaiah describes the Lord's servant as one who acts wisely, or some servants say, um, who prospers. He accomplishes the task that is given to him. Later in chapter 53 in verses 10, 10 and 11, it says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. He will be satisfied with offering himself for guilty sinners and for accomplishing the Lord's will, for doing what the Lord wanted him to do for fulfilling his mission. And then this same servant is described as being high and lifted up and being exalted. So I have to ask you, where have you heard this description before? And I hope you remember that it's found in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah was given a vision of the Lord in the holy temple. And so, ladies, just be mindful. Here, all of this song was given 600 years before Jesus' birth. And yet here, Isaiah is given this clear picture of the glory and exaltation of Jesus, the Messiah. Isaiah goes on to say that many will see the servant's disfigurement and be astonished, appalled, horrified. He is abused to the point where they wonder if he is even a person. It's heartbreaking. And also, kings, as representatives of all people, are dumbfounded. They're shocked into silence. They are speechless before him. They are astonished and in wonder when they come to see, when they learn and understand this amazing new truth, this amazing news that the Lord's servant achieves his purpose of sprinkling many nations. This word sprinkle <laughs> speaks of bringing atonement it's used throughout Leviticus and Numbers to describe the priest sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice 
to make atonement for Israel's sin. It, the sprinkling spe bring, speaks of bringing cleansing from sin. And so many see, and the kings are astounded to see that this is accomplished, this atonement that is offered to many nations is accomplished through suffering. So the servant serves the Lord and fulfills his plan of bringing atonement to sinful people. Those that see are astonished when they recognize, see, and understand that the suffering servant is then exalted to the highest place. He is above all. He is the risen, victorious, glorified Redeemer and the satisfied sin bearer. Jesus, the arm of the Lord, is revealed through humility and suffering and self-sacrifice. We see, we'll see this in verses 1 to 6 that begins with this question, who has believed what he has heard from us? And, and I think here the us speaks of Isaiah and the faithful remnant. And the question is asked is, to, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And I think these questions echo throughout all time. The suffering servant is the Lord's holy arm put on display so that all can see the salvation of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is the Lord himself come to bring salvation. And how is this arm of the Lord revealed? First, through humility. Jesus, the very creator of all, becomes a tender shoot. He is born. He becomes human. This phrase, um, he is a root out of dry ground, reveals that he is human. And then we see not only does he become part of the creation and become human, take on flesh, but he is utterly ordinary. He has nothing in his appearance that would draw people to him. He is not handsome. He does not display any showings of royalty or majesty. It's as if his power and glory are disguised. He is lowly and humble in every way. How astonishing is this? His power is hidden in what looks like weakness. Jesus, the arm of the Lord, is humble and lowly. And then he is willing to suffer. He, he is a suffering servant. He is despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The servant withstands people's scorn and contempt. And oh, he, is, he has entered in. He knows and understands suffering and every kind of sorrow and grief. He does not turn his face from it. And yet, people could not look at him. They hid their faces from him. They turned their backs on him. They forsake him. And this phrase cuts to my heart. 
is a phrase that reads, we esteemed him not. Oh, the servant is willing to suffer on behalf of a sinful people. And then we see that he is also one who sacrifices himself. He is willing to be a substitutionary sacrifice, the glorious sin bearer, the servant, the very, the only innocent one, takes on what is not his in order to restore sinners to God. He has borne our griefs, taken up, carried our sorrows. He takes our burden of sin on his shoulders as if it were his own. And he was considered stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. These all speak of God's wrath and God's judgment. And those who saw him thought that he was de deserving of God's judgment and wrath. Yet, he was bearing the judgment that we deserved. He was pierced for our transgressions, for our rebellion. He was crushed, crushed to the point of death for our iniquities. Upon him was, was our chastisement that brought us peace. The servant's substitutionary chastisement makes us who are God's enemies now at peace with him. With his wounds, we are healed. This speaks of being made whole, being restored. And though we, like sheep who have gone astray, who've gone our own way, he did this for us to think that he would offer himself for people like us, who are like sheep, who are determined to go our own way, who get lost, who are helpless, and somehow think that we know the best path to take. So the servant fulfills his mission. He allows the Lord to lay on him all of our iniquities. This is astonishing. Jesus, in laying down his life for us, does not come in power in the way that we would expect it or the way that we see power displayed in our world. He does not come with a mighty arm flexing his biceps, but he comes in submission, in self-sacrifice, in pouring out his life for wayward sinners like us. He does it out of love. So Jesus, the mighty arm of the Lord, is revealed through suffering and self-sacrifice. And this arm 
reaches out with a mighty stretch, mighty and outstretched arm with great love. He knew that there was no way else to save us and no one else who could save us. And his love is the greatest power of all. Tim Keller puts it this way, all real love is a substitu substitutionary sacrifice. And so, I ask you today to be astonished with me and to behold the Savior. Behold the suffering servant, the exalted Savior. There is a, a statue in Brazil called Christ the Redeemer statue that it's at the top of a mountain that towers above Rio de, de Janeiro. It stands 98 feet tall and the arms of Christ reach out <laughs> 92 feet wide. <laughs> it's on display so that anyone is there can see it from, from afar. And so I say to you today, behold the Savior. And I think that when I was that 18-year-old girl, that Jesus saved me physically and healed me physically. And yet, the greatest wonder of all is that his mighty and outstretched arm saved my soul. Through Jesus' loving sacrifice, ladies, he has reached out to us. <laughs> to me, who's stubborn and selfish and proud and sin-sick through and through. And yet Jesus, with his outstretched arms, made a way for me, a sinner who's completely undeserving, to be restored to our holy God so that I can be his beloved daughter and call him father. The Holy One who is high and lifted up and exalted, whose holiness could just consume me, <laughs> receives me because of what Jesus did on my behalf. And the Spirit has made his home in my heart, replacing my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. So the Lord's arm is mighty and yet gentle to those that receive and trust in him. He has worked the greatest mighty act of all in redeeming and bringing salvation with his mighty and outstretched arm through Jesus, the Messiah and Savior. May we be astonished. May we proclaim with Isaiah, behold the Savior, behold the arm of the Lord. May we be ones who esteem him and honor him with the outpouring of our lives that he may be revealed to others. And may we walk with him and follow him in the way of humility, service, and sacrifice. Let's pray.
our great God, we praise you today for your mighty and outstretched arm, for your power that is infinite, that sustains this world, and yet, through Jesus, reaches down into it to make a way of salvation, to make a way for sinners to be restored to you, our holy God. And so we are on our knees before you in gratitude. And we do offer our lives to you and ask that you would work your great power in and through us that we might follow you in the way of humility and service and self-sacrifice, that others may be drawn to you, that we can proclaim along with Isaiah, behold the Savior, and others would come to trust in you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your saving grace given to us in Jesus. And it's it in his powerful and beautiful name that we pray. Amen.